This is the 911 Calls Podcast with the operator and his trusty junior assistant, Mr. Luna. We have everyone on the phone right now. We have your husband, you, and um, the male that's in your home as well. I heard a really loud noise. I think it was gunfire. You heard a loud noise? Oh, hey, Luna. Hey, operator. How's it going? Good. Good. You? Good. You know, just sitting here, starring in episode. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, it's always awkward when someone asks you how you're doing and they don't really care. Yeah, right. Yeah, I never care. You know what's even more awkward? What? What's more awkward is when you're like, hey, how you doing? And they actually think you care? Or the, they think that that's an actual conversation to have, and then they're like... The worst. Ah, oh, my sciatica is flaming, and yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, the rectal problem's back, but I got the ointment. But they gave me the wrong one, and they gave me the one that has the uh, exfoliator in it. Oh, man, it's... <laughs> Terrible. That's why I ask those people how they're doing as I'm walking away. I'm pretty much saying <laughs> bye and hi at the same time. That's a good idea. I should start doing that. Oh, hey. Okay, so I got a question for you. Yeah. Hey, Luna. What is the most paranoid you can recall being whilst under the influence or sober? And were there people around to witness it? Okay. Ooh, that's a loaded question. Okay. I used to live in an apartment with my brother. And it looked at over the back of a strip club. And there was a lot of bikers and stuff in this area. And we would film sometimes what was going on back there. And I believe I've told this story before, but not not this particular incident of us filming out this window. So there were some bikers down there. And one of them come up, knock on the door. Well, he didn't even knock on the door. He just walked right in. So there's a fire escape up the side of the building. And you can just walk into our apartment. So he does. He starts yelling at everybody. And he wants the camera, and he wants us to uh, hand it over to him, and he wants to break the tape. And in my head, I'm like, you, didn't, you weren't even doing anything down there, man. Like, you're just standing there smoking cigarettes. Like, we didn't, we didn't witness a crime or anything. He's just trying to throw his weight around, probably coked up or yeah, whatever else. So I tell him off. I tell him to get out of the apartment, and uh, he does. He, and, but he, what he says on the way out is, I'll be back later. Oh. <laughs> so... We ended up doing mushrooms that night, and I couldn't stop thinking about the man, this man's threat. So I started stapling cardboard up over the windows and barricading the doors and everything else. And I think that that is the most paranoid that I've ever been. People were uh, around, and so I believe that answers your question. Did, uh, did he come back? He never came back. He never came back. I, I was trying to tell people to be quiet. Like, it was loud. We were loud in that apartment. That, this apartment was, our furniture was inflatable furniture. This is how ghetto it was. And, like, someone would move on the couch a little bit and would make that squeaking noise, right? I'm like, she can stop moving on the f- inflatable furniture. So I'm sure that that inflatable furniture really would have helped in front of the door. You know, that it's, <laughs> no. it's like, you might as well just tape a balloon to the lock. 
<laughs> I should I should clarify. No, we what we pushed in front of the door were garbage bags that we had been collecting full of our garbage and beer cases and everything. We actually one of my friends uh, went down on a GT snow racer from the top of this mountain of garbage. That's how high it was. <laughs> wow. I remember waking up one night and walking around. I'm like, what is that on my feet? And I, I turn on the light, look down. There are maggots everywhere, oh, all over the floor. No, Just kicked up, kicked them off my feet. Got back into bed, a uh, bed that we stole from. Well, not stole. Took from the front of the building. We called it Old Rickety. It was from like this Chinese restaurant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> itchy, itchy Pete. Uh, that reminds me. One time I was living in an apartment with some roommates. I think four guys, four or five guys. Burgers, right? Four, five, let's say four guys. And one time we were just out and about, and there was a Frito Lay distribution center in town, and so we went dumpster diving. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh! We didn't know, but they if they there's like a calculation system that they have that if there's inventory in that distribution center that they can calculate that may not sell in time based on the expiration date, they will just mm-hmm. throw it away rather than put it on a truck yeah. and send it to a gas station or whatever. Mm-hmm. The dumpsters were full of every kind of chips bags you could think of. <laughs> we, we, we had a walk-in, a walk-in pantry. Every single shelf was full of chips. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, that reminds me of something too. I, when I, I, same place where I was living, I would go down and then wait at a bus stop to go to work but on the way there was a Tim Hortons and out back they would put the day old donuts out so on the way to work I grabbed breakfast out of a garbage bag of day old donuts oh shit and you know apple strudel maybe maybe I shouldn't do that but I'll take one of these honey crullers it's underneath the wipes that they cleaned the toilet with but whatever <laughs> apple poodle oh man yeah we also found uh, a uh, like a, a giant display of Chester Cheetah, uh, but mm-hmm. his uh, torso had been torn in half, so we hung him in our, our apartment, but we, it was chestless Cheetah. <sighs> it worked at the time. <laughs> our only lamp was... Um uh, stoplights that we had stolen, like you know, like like it turns red, green, amber, and we fix affixed it to like a plug cord. So like our whole night would be lit up by like the lights turning green and then going to warning and then going to red for a while. The apartment would light up green, uh, amber, and uh, red all through the night. What a f- hole! That sounds like terrible. <laughs> I mean, I can't really think of much redeeming in your whole story that sounds not <laughs> terrible, but, you know. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, well, I got one for you really quick. Uh, so, mm. in my 20s, I was really into uh, the concept of cracking software. I don't know why. I'm 45 wow. now, so I think the statute of limitations is probably... You know, come and gone, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you. So I was part of this cracking team, and they lived, everybody was like all over the world. Like you didn't know anybody. And like every time we communicated, we would use encryption in IRC channels and just all this weird stuff, right? And I wasn't the best cracker of software. I wasn't that like really that good at coding as well as mm-hmm. these other guys. So I became what's called a distro, and they would dump the crack software somewhere. And then my job was to go find the, the links that they sent me and then d- <laughs> find open computers across the world, like grandma's computer that's not well secured. Mm. And then I would create this just blinding myriad of folders 
in like her documents. It'd just be one that says like taxes, but then inside of there is just this massive dump of all these folders and confusion. But we would have this one path through all the folders that would end up in this one folder that had the software. And then we would send that link with the directions to the, the folder particular out. Wow. Uh, I so sucked at it, though. I was terrible. I'm not even quite sure I did it once correctly. But it was kind of, you know, it got your adrenaline running, thinking you were part of this thingy and everything. And uh-huh. um, You sound like one of the Eastern gentlemen from our last episode. Yeah. Like you were aspiring to be one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was hoping to go from that to call center where I could call people saying that I'm from the IRS, you know. Hopefully right. they'll call me back like, idiots but uh it was really weird i remember every night for like six months like i said i'm not even quite sure i ever did my job correctly but i would wake up in the middle of the night for sure that the cops were coming and i would just stand at my front window and like peek out my blinds like an idiot Mm -hmm. thinking that they were going to show up at any any moment it was it was nerve-wracking and then i look back and i'm like why was i why did I do that? It's so stupid. It took me a long time to realize that the cops do not have eyes everywhere. I was constantly paranoid my, my entire life. Anytime I was doing any type of criminal activity, I thought that they were listening in. I thought that they were going to bust down the door at any minute. But the reality is that they got too much going on, and they really don't know unless they're tipped off to it. So as long as you got a good crew around you, you're just fine. <laughs> yes. Well, exactly. I, I, I think we often forget how little of a fish we are sitting in front of yeah. a computer or in our home or something. The paranoia is often well outweighs. I will say one thing really quick. So one time I got ripped off by a guy on the internet who had this like, okay, it was too good to be true deal on laptops. <laughs> and he was in Pennsylvania and uh, I'm where I was and totally ripped me off. He wanted the money through Western Union and I'm an idiot and I sent it. He had like a crackhead go in and collect the money, so he wasn't on right. camera or anything. Perfect. But I had his IP address, and he was. I found out he was using a computer or computers from this computer lab at a community college in Pennsylvania. Huh. So I found out, like, I could see when he came back online in IRC, which is a chat channel. I called the cops, and I was like, hey, there's a guy who's running a scam from the the computer lab at this community college. And they're like, all right, well, just call us when you see him on there again. So I called him and they're like, okay. And they called the security of the college and the guy got on the phone, called me and he goes to the computer lab and he's like, how will I know what he, who he is? And I'm like, well, I have his cell phone number. He picked up for a couple of days and then stopped picking it up. So I said, I'll just call his phone. So I called his phone and it went off and they got him. So I got a call like a week later and they were like, yeah, he's actually part of this like scam ring of things going on. And then one week later, 9-11 happened. Okay. No. And never heard another thing. David Hassel's album dropped too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Nobody cared anymore. Nobody cared anymore. I didn't, wouldn't take you for a rat up, but it's good to know. Well, I was, well, he ripped me off. Good for you. Is that is that a rat? Am I a rat? Well, you should have gone. Go kill him. Oh, but he's in another state. He's in another oh, state. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. No, yeah. I'm just I'm just yanking yanking your smooth nuts there, man. Ken's right. nuts. You got a call? Is this going? I, I do actually. Going. Yeah. Okay, but I have another question for you. We're only 12 minutes in, so we're good. 
All right. right. Here's another question. So, have you ever known someone who was consistently dangerous while under the influence? A great person, you know, otherwise, but just turned into a total, like, Jekyll when they were high or otherwise. Oh, my God. You know. Come on, man. Oh you, you think this is going to be quick? <laughs> okay, I'll try to make this quick. All right, I, my best friend when I was, like, in my early 20s, we called him Dude Stop because you're always having to tell him, Dude Stop. Like, Dude Stop. <laughs> Dude Stop. Stop. Dude Stop. Awesome. And uh, we were we went to school together, and uh, we were in the same class for social services. We had the same background, like you know, a bit of a shitty background. He'd actually been in juvie, and he'd been released from there, and then chosen this course. And it was part of his rehabilitation to go to a course like this to prove, you know, that that he's a good guy now, and that he can get over his past. And I won't get into what he had done in his past, but. I'll give you an example. One time he was arrested for breaking and entering into a house when he was 13 years old. And they found him wearing the guy's bathrobe, cooking bacon and eggs in the kitchen. He had, he had broken into this guy's house and was just living there. So this is the type of guy we're dealing with. So we're at a bar. We just have met each other and we're getting along really well. And uh, there's a hockey game on. It's Leafs versus Boston, Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Bruins. And we get into a fight with some guys who are Bruins fans verbally. But it turns into a bar fight when I stuck a pool cue into a guy's neck and pushed him away from me. And it just all hell broke. That'll do it. (laughs) We're fighting. We're just, it's just him and I against like five guys just going bananas. We get thrown out by the bouncers. We each grab like a pitcher off a table as we're leaving. There's half full of other people's beer and we're running. At, away from our tab, away from the fight, we're just running. We're in an alley, and he turns around, drops the drops the pitcher, and starts punching me. Oh. Starts just just punch, 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 punch. Like we're in a fight, <laughs> and I finally calm him down. He's crying. I just stop him, trying to talk him down. He's like, he's he was mad at me for putting him in that position, for putting oh. him in that situation, for his past being so screwed up as it was and he's trying to get things right he was upset with me for starting something like that that would would risk what he was trying to fix in his life this is the guy named dude stop <laughs> that was dude stop <laughs> he would never stop later on we're sitting on a porch and a, and a t- couple old dudes go by in a in a drop top vehicle you know convertible and I say to him hey I wonder if we're, when we're there old, we'll still be hanging out together and he goes to me he goes I wonder if you'll still have that piece of pepper in your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's that's dude stop, man. His uh on on a on a on a low note here, his he had a daughter and she passed away when she was like four years old and um the guy could never catch a break and I don't know what happened to him, but we lost contact, so Ah, oh, dude, stop. That's it. Dude stop. Serious. Yeah. Oh man, that's sad. Well, I don't I don't really have much jackals to talk about, but I do have Aunt Paula and Aunt Paula, my aunt was uh at one point married to a guy named Riker. And he was former military like you'd expect. Um but she got beat up all the time by him, right? And 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 it, it kind of flowed into our life because they had I had cousins that were sort of our age and so they would just kind of float into our house, appear suddenly, you know, from their house. Paula would just drive up, drop kids off, disappear. You know, it was weird. At one point, she had a steering wheel that was just a crescent wrench. Yeah. So it was one of those kind of situations, you know, it was, it was really sad. Anyway, I got older and uh, I was in, I was probably 17 or 18 and I'm, I'm at the house and suddenly she comes over. She's just, she's just a wreck. 
He'd been punching her up again. And she's at our house, and she's like, I'm really scared this time. And he showed up. Riker shows up, and he's outside of our house. And I'm 18, so I guess I kind of feel like I'm invincible or something. And so I go out, and I just start, start talking to him. He's kind of a doofus, you know, and he's fired up and everything. So I just kind of started talking to him, and I diverted his attention away and everything to the point that he was not interested in trying to get her. But at the same time, everything flipped. So it wasn't anymore that he was trying to get her. He was fully convinced that she was under the control of some government. Right. And that she's in our house and that we're holding her, you know, for the government and that they're going to show up. And I don't know how things are going. I'm kind of worried he's going to stab me in the neck with the pool cue or something, you know. And suddenly he's like, I'll be right back. And he starts running down the road. And I'm like, where are you going? And he turns around, he stops and walks back to me in the chest. And he's like, this is way above your pay grade. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, good idea. And I was, he says, good, good, idea. good idea. I didn't even say anything. And he goes over and he slits all the tires at my house. Like everybody's car oh. tires, slits them all. And then he starts running off. I'm like, where are you going? And he's like, I've got access to a helicopter. And he like disappeared. And we never saw him again for like, months and four years later he kind of got his act together uh he still like at that point couldn't drive a car because of like the problems he had been in but he got a job as a security checkpoint guard for tsa at the airport oh good so yeah. you know it worked out oh my gosh seriously wow. anyway <clears throat> yeah okay so today's call involves <laughs> man I can- <laughs> unbelievable I got pepper all through my teeth. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, today's call, I don't even know how to do a segue anymore. It's just, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Just go. Okay. Uh, today's call involves a guy that just seemed to have everyone after him at all times. So uh, let's chase this guy down and, and see what he's up to, shall we? Okay. Okay, Sounds you ready? Good. Ready for me to hit play? Yeah, of course. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Right here, wait. What are you doing in our house? 
I told you there are shots fired. Where were shots fired at? Going on, uh, uh, old 37, or uh, old Kentucky, uh, on Annabelle. What's that? Is they coming into Bellevue. Stop right here with me, man. No, I ain't going anywhere. You're going there with me, man. Bro, turn the light on, please. William! Turn the William! Yes, man. What do you, no, what are you trying to have them do? He's coming in the room with me, that's it. Why is he coming in the room with you? Why are you locking that door? Don't lock that door, bro. You are right, man. I can hear you my word, man. You're straight. I get, I get what you're saying, but you got two guns, bro. You're saying, you got two guns? How kind of crazy, man? I'm William. not doing anything. William. I'm in my house, man. I'm sorry, man. William, listen to me. Why are you here in the first place? William, can you listen to me? Yes, man. I need you to put those guns down because I've got, I've got officers that want to help you. I, wa I have officers that want to help you and keep you safe, so I need you to put those guns down. Who are you, man? I'm 911. I've got help for you. I need you to put those guns down so that they can get you the help that you need. I want, I want police here. So I can leave. The police are there, William. The police are there. No, they're not. They are there. I, they're there. I've got a lot of deputies there. Listen, I'm not harming you. I promise. My word. My wife just got threatened, man. I hear you, bro. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. I got threatened last night. Okay, I get you, bro. I'm not harming you or your children or your wife. I'm going to transfer this line, so do not hang up on me, okay? I'm not. I'm not going to. All right. Just a minute for me. Hey, William. William. Yes. Hey, this is Joe from the Sheriff's Department. How are you, man? Glad you bad for you leave the door. Don't come through that door. Okay. We're not going to come through the door, man, but I just want to talk to you and find out what's going on. Don't come through that door. Slide you bad for you that door, man. Well, I'm not even up by the door, man. I'm outside the house. Where else? I'm in the house. Stop playing games with me, man. What, what's what's got y'all worked up today, man? Okay, things are heating up in this situation. Yeah. As soon as the cops got on the phone, you could tell that this guy was like bugging out. He was. Besides bugging out, he sounds very in control of himself, though, too. Yes. Which is a scary thing. This reminds me of dude, stop. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a person who is completely uh, capable of 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 reacting in a way that they deem to be appropriate. Like, you'll meet a lot of people who will threaten to do certain things and, and be hard and be a certain way. But like like my friend that I was talking about before, if they say something, they're likely going to do it. And they don't do well with somebody trying to impose authority over top of them. And it's funny how the 911 call operator sounded like she was reacting to his attitude and trying to speak above him, and she was trying her best to grab his attention. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really landing. He was paying attention to her to some degree, but than just doing his own thing, whatever he wanted to. These type of people are, they'll get down. It's a really weird one because I, I have sympathy, I guess, is what the word would be for this guy. Um, there are people with mental illnesses who surround us at all times, right? And they are harmless and we know that and so they're more or less disregarded and then there are people with mental illnesses around us that are harmful and freak us out and they are maybe paid more attention to and we worry about them those are the kind that end up incarcerated even though there's probably other methods that would work better for them and then there's guys like this where it's like mentally ill 
doesn't feel like he wants to hurt anyone, but he's so wrapped up in his situation that like everyone is disarmed. Even though the dude's got two guns, he, everyone's disarmed because, like you said, he seems to be very there, but everybody's aware that he's not really all there, you know? I feel, I feel yeah. bad because you could tell he was suffering mentally. He's like, he does not yeah. really get the ground he's standing on, you know? I got you. I think what we need to get to, uh, let's explain a little bit more what's going on yeah. here before okay. we go off about it. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Here's some backstory. So the guy who made the call in this case was 22-year-old naval veteran Christopher Neal. The call was placed on a cold Michigan evening, December 1st of 2019. Temperatures were heading down to a nipply 34 degrees, 13-mile-per-hour winds out of the north with precipitation a bit higher than the historical average of 0.64 compared with the typical Point one for the region. Daytime high was 39 with a low of 34. Oof. And that's your daily weather roundup. Check back every hour on the hour. Stay tethered to the weather for Channel 1159. <laughs> I'm the operator. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. You, you focus your energies into strange things, but good job. What's funny about that is I was like, I should Google the actual temperature and wind and all that for that day. It took me like 20 minutes to do that. Uh, that's all factual. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I'm going to do something really stupid, I at least need it to be founded, grounded in reality. So there you go. That's the well, temperature. Yeah. And this this episode so far needed some fill-in. <laughs> it needs some additionals. So good. Good. Thanks for picking it up. Sorry. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, Christopher Neal and his wife Haley Co. Her last name was Co. Even though his name was Neil, not sure what's going on there. They're not Indian, so I don't know what's going on this time. Okay. <laughs> also, she was a naval vet as well, and their two-year-old daughter had lived in their new home there in Comstock Township, Michigan, for less than a week. Ugh. Mm. What's the deal with all these crimes happening? Like, just as people move in, geez. Well, that's probably tensions are high. You know. People don't like change. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so their house was undergoing some renovations at the time, and their daughter was sleeping in the dining room. And this young married couple were watching TV in the family room when a frantic man enters the home. He had two guns, which he pointed at Christopher and Haley. So the intruder told the people that he was being chased and asked Christopher Neal to call 911 so he could tell police he was being chased. Once again, you know, something that just a normal criminal doesn't do, you know. Mm-hmm. Could you call 911 on me? <laughs> right. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. So Christopher urged the man to let his wife and daughter go upstairs while they figured things out with 911. This man allowed it. So Christopher then makes the call that you just heard to 911. William Paul Jones, the man that broke into their home, was the other voice on the call. Now, now, William mentioned that shots had been fired and that he was fearing for his life. So, in order to connect that dot, we'll have to rewind just a little bit. All right. So, let's rewind all the way back to February of 2019. Remember, this is December when this is happening. Back mm-hmm. back to February. 35-year-old William Paul Jones had spent the bulk of his life up to that point in and out of multiple prisons on multiple occasions. A jail, prisons, just his whole his whole history is just dotted with this stuff. 
Uh, his, I thought you were about to say uh, petting zoos. You're just like r- struggling here. No, jails, yeah. prisons, petting zoos, jails, all kinds prisons, of petting zoos, heavy petting zoos. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to a heavy petting zoo. <laughs> Me too. Clothing is optional. You have to bring your own lotion. Is all I've heard. So it's kind of weird. Right. <laughs> yeah, you just like straddle yourself on like a saddle underneath a horse and just rub yourself all over it. That's a heavy petting zoo. <laughs> that is. You don't want to get near a horse when he's interested. That's like getting impaled on a railroad spike. <laughs> don't. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. I've heard. Don't, you don't need to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, rewinding to February uh, 2019. So his most recent stint was from February 2020. Was from February 25th to November 26th of 2019. So basically, all of 2019, William was incarcerated for the illegal sale and use of a financial transaction device. I don't know what that means. Like maybe he got a hold of somebody else's square swipe thingy. You know, I don't know. What? Like, are you talking about a credit card or a bank card? Yeah, I don't know if a financial transaction device is a. Device is a credit card. A financial transaction. Okay, let's keep moving. I think it's pretty self-explained. A financial transaction device. Yeah, is that like a point of sale? Like he he stole one from his place, and it's you're the one who wrote this, or one of those credit card swipers, the paper one, chucka chucka. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. We'll see. All right. So during his incarceration, William appeared in 42 jail incident reports. Reports for fighting, disobeying officers, to lying to police, and even the salacious charge of inappropriate contact with other inmates. <laughs> I don't know what that means either. I think that's a heavy petting zoo part of the prison, probably. Well, when I was a kid, I remember my dad getting out and then just going for a walk near the jail and him throwing something over the wall. Maybe that type <laughs> yeah. of thing. Inappropriate contact, like maybe it hit a, j- a person. He was throwing rock. What was he throwing? A brick of hash. But Oh, yum. I love hash browns. Mm-hmm. So do inmates. Yeah, guess so. Okay, so in November, when he was released from jail, he spent three blissful days with a woman named Carrie McMurtry. On the November 29th, William was in Port Huron, Michigan, about two hours east of where he'd end up in Comstock a few days later. According to Carrie's account of the incident, the two were about to have sexual intercourse with sex involved when <laughs> William suddenly told Carrie to get in the bedroom closet with him. Now, that's not a euphemism for some kind of sex act. He, he literally wanted her to get in the closet with him. So mm-hmm. he told her to trust him and paused in silence for a little while while they're in the closet and asked if she could hear the people climbing in through the window. And she said no, because there were actually no people climbing through any of the windows. This incident, he proceeded to call 911 himself, claiming that the house he was in was on fire. And he also told the 911 dispatcher that mm-hmm. Carrie's family was holding him against his will, which was also untrue. 911 records from that day showed that upon r- arrival, responders found William to be in a quote-unquote partially manic state and that uh, he asked them to drive him to a train station. Then en route, he changed his mind and said the train station was too public, so he told them uh, to change course and drop him off at the bus station. So 
Which is far less public. Oh, right, yeah. I don't know anyone that takes a train anymore. Can you even take trains places? Sure, you can. Where do you live? In a field. A snowy field. <laughs> People take trains, man. Do they really? Like a choo-choo train? Like a chugga-chugga-choo-choo? Yes. Train? There's trains of trains. There's subways. There, come on. Okay, subway. Okay, I can me. see subway. Yeah, but really, trains. No, there's like, trains though. There's trains of trains. Of course. Fuck. Really? God. Like like Amtrak kind of trains. Where like, have you been? People still get on the Amtrak train. Oh my god, just trains like to go to work. Okay, if you live outside of a city, you could take a train into work into the city, and then wow. from there you can get onto a bus, or you get onto a subway, or you get into. Like, I mean, this has been going on for, I don't know, 50 years. Really? Weird. Okay. You just think that they're just hauling grain around? Well. And that hobos get to ride trains and that's it? Yeah, around here, it's either grain or, you know, <laughs> hobo Jim that lives in my backyard when he's in town. Weird. Okay, well, okay. Uh, you learn something new every day. I was today days old when I ne- learned that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, okay. All right. So once William arrived at the bus station, he called a friend who picked him up and drove him to Battle Creek, Michigan, about 22 minutes from Comstock. So he went to the bus station, but then didn't even take a bus. So weird. All right. So his friend picks him up and we're making the right word, Comstock. (laughs) Here's where things start getting really weird. This is a long episode, man. I feel like it could have been a really good episode, too, with the call. (laughs) Well, I I listened to this call, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much to this call. And then I look into it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's so much to this story. So believe me, you want to know this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they're making their way to work on stuff when uh, things get super weird. William was picked up by his friend Brian Thorpe, and he had a lady friend in his Chevy Tahoe named Nicole Weigand. Weigand? Nicole Weigand. Yeah, who cares? They claimed that early on... (laughs) They claimed that early on, William was smoking meth, and then the three of them decided to get into Thorpe's Tahoe and drive to Nicole's mom's house, because that's what I think people often want to do when they're tripping balls is, you know, go see their mom. Right? Did you want to do that when you're tripping balls? Did you trip balls and then go to your mom's house? Depends on how bad you're tripping balls, man. I was in a room one time with like four guys. We'd all taken eight hits of acid. And one dude was wrapping his dick around his wrist asking people who want to know what time it was. Wow. Like we, Yeah, like you want to see your mom at some point. It gets weird. I guess. Did he have really small wrists? Because I need a. No, he had a huge. He had a huge penis. He had oh. like a. He had like um, a, a five hundred millimeter long penis. Wow, flaccid. I don't really yeah. know length. I just know like net weight and content. So I would go with five hundred milliliter. I could understand that. Right. What was the blood volume? Do would you say? I know those. I'd have to test it with my mouth. That's the only way I can tell. Yeah. Pressures. Me too. Blood volume pressures only with the mouthful region. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I use the mouthful region uh, calculations for proper milk to cereal ratio on the cereal ladle that I eat my cereal from. Here come the edits. (laughs) Oh, you wait. (laughs) That's not getting edited, Jack. (laughs) Anyway, they trip balls because I like saying that. And then they went to... 
to uh, Nicole's mom's house. Once they arrived at their destination, Thorpe said that Nicole started to get out, but William pulled a handgun and ordered them both to stay in the SUV. William said they were being followed and accused Thorpe of setting him up. So he held them hostage in the Tahoe for almost two hours. Then Nicole's dad showed up at the house and they backed out of the driveway to let him in. And William instructed Thorpe to just drive away really fast. After making a bunch of random turns, Thorpe says they wound up on a rural dirt road where Thorpe said William became agitated and shot the windshield out from the back seat. Mm -hmm. So William later explained to the police that he had been shooting at a white sedan that had been following them. Here's my thing is if if a white sedan is following you, why would you shoot forward out of the windshield? I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand any of this. Yeah. <laughs> I've lost the story completely. But Me too. Keep going. I'm hoping it lands. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll land. Don't worry. It's like a being on a trip just, just listening to this. So Yeah. We're tripping Good balls. Enough. Let's just keep mm-hmm. saying that. We're tripping balls. All right. William told the investigators that he believed that Thorpe was not only driving, but he was working with the people who were in the car and that they were about to get him. A couple more turns, Thorpe ends up on Proctor Avenue, which is the street that Christopher Neal and Haley Cole's house was on. Uh, William tells him to stop the car. This is, I could, I could imagine this part. This is just so creepy. So Thorpe says that he believed at that point that William was about to shoot him, and he had his eyes closed and he was tensing, preparing to be shot in the head when he realized that he was not shot and that Nicole was telling him to just drive, 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 drive. Mm-hmm. He turned around and saw that uh, William's passenger door was open and that he was out of the car. So they take off and get out of the area, and they left him behind. So William wasn't actually lying to the 911 dispatcher when he said that shots had been fired and that he feared for his life, but uh, the rest of what he was talking about was just a fig newton of his imagination. So Yeah, all right. Hey, is, is there more to this call? Is there? Yeah, there is. Reader's Digest version. Crazy guy. It starts somewhere, does some meth, ends up two hours away from where he started and shoots out a window. And now he's going into these these people's house, breaking in, basically. All right. Yeah, there's more to the call. So this next call you're going to hear. Go ahead. Imagine you just said that, though. Yeah. Like people who complain about this podcast being long winded. (laughs) That's what you would get. Right. What he just did right there. That's what you're asking for. And then a three-minute phone call. And then we'd wrap up the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, five stars across the board. <laughs> exactly. They're like, perfect episode. Seven minutes long. Perfect. It's exactly what I needed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, there's more to this call. Yeah, uh, so hit play. <laughs> yeah, it, this time it's Haley. Haley, his wife, calling from upstairs. First she calls her dad, and then she calls 911 while she's holed up upstairs with her two-year-old. So, okay, you ready for me to hit play? I am, yeah. Oh, really quick, um, before I hit play, do you remember <laughs> Do you remember what you get if you add an I in the word ads? Yeah, you already did this, man. I know, but... Like, you did this last time. I got it, I got it. If you turn the letters on themselves, you get said, as in you already said this, set up on your last episode. How about that? Oh, oh that's pretty good. All right. All right. So uh, here's something that I already said. It's an ad. <laughs> Don't get AIDS. All right. Here we go. 
Okay, and what do you, what's going on right now? I don't know, I'm upstairs, all I can hear is him, like, slightly talking. Do you still have him on the phone? Yep, so we have, um, so I'm talking to you, and then my other call taker is talking to someone else as well. Do you know who is in the home? No, we have no idea. You have no idea who it is? He's barging our back door with two guns. He just barged in? Yeah, and he has my husband locked in a room with him. He won't let my husband or me out, so I be We have everyone on the phone right now. We have your husband, you, and um, the male that's in your home as well. I heard a really loud noise. I think it was gunfire. You heard a loud noise? Yeah. The police officers are making entry right now, so stay calm for me, okay? Okay, so the plot thickens. So just to kind of connect the calls so far, you've got the first 911 dispatcher who's got Neil and crazy guy on the phone. The cop got on the phone, was trying to talk, and the crazy guy hangs up on him. Got another 911 call who's talking to the wife. Uh, they hear gunfire. The cops now have broken into the home, and there is a uh, bunch of cops in the house, right? So let's listen to the last call that was made uh, from 911 back to Neil's phone because crazy guy had hung up. So here, ready for me to hit play on that? Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. Was the last phone call. <sighs> okay. Creepy, huh? Well, what happened? Okay. Neil wasn't dead. William hadn't shot him. A few minutes later, the officers outside of the house did, in fact, hear gunfire, which is confirmed from Haley's phone call that we heard previously. The officers decided that it's time to enter the home at this point by force. So they break down the door and enter the home. By the way, I have all of the body cam footage from several different officers' point of view during the entrance and final moments of the incident. So I'm going to post those up on Patreon for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> Don't worry, though. It's pretty tame footage. You'll be able to watch it while driving your kids to the craft store. It's not that big of a deal. It's like a two on the spicy scale promise, but it's, it'll get your heart racing. So if you want to check out the body cam footage, it'll be there. All right, so they enter the home, and they quickly locate William barricaded in a back bedroom. William begins opening fire from inside the room, and that kept the officers at bay. As the officers advance into the home, William keeps shooting through the door and the walls. Three officers were actually hit by the gunfire. Then they hear a window break, and they charge the room. Inside, they find that William had, at that point shot Neil dead and was escaping out of a window he shattered with a gun. So he was cut as he made his way through the window into the backyard where he was apprehended by the police, but not one bullet was fired by police. I think, you know, in our current climate, I think that says a lot. They had their strength and practice caution, even though three of their own were shot during the incident, you know. I think that says something. Yeah. 
Sure. I'm sure there were officers in the past when it wasn't this current climate that have held back as well. It wasn't the Wild West before people started getting woke and, and watching every move these guys made. But, yeah, you're right. In this current climate, it, it cert- certainly does say something. It does. It, it, it says it says that maybe they're a little gun shy is what it says to me. Yes, very well. Could. And which is also maybe, you know, that's something to stare at for a while as a, as a culture, right? That, uh, you know, the cops are more worried about shooting somebody that really deserves. You know, it put me in that house as a policeman and three of the guys that I just had lunch with earlier that day get shot by a guy, you know, yes. who's also got a family hostage. Right. I'm not quite sure I would have had the restraint. I probably would have filled that guy's face full of lead. Right. I know Even if a- he was laying on the backyard, you know. Sure. I know it's a, it's a touchy subject, but like it, it, with this climate, there, there are positives to it, right? They're going to hold back on certain fire. But then there's the other option where it's like maybe they should shoot and and they'll second guess themselves. It's it's a very uh, intense moments where where police officers have to make that decision to actually pull their gun and and shoot. And if they got a doubt in their mind just based on how they'll be judged on this and maybe they'll go to jail based on this, maybe they're not going to take the right shots at the right time. So so there's positives and negatives to uh, you know to, to any climate. Totally, I I'm honestly very sad that uh, so many people get to play armchair quarterback with these kind of situations after the fact that actually matter yeah. you know say say that say the two armchair quarterbacks say yeah exactly <laughs> oh, we're different we're different though we're cool <laughs> right. but you know what is sad is like you said like if they had acted potentially neil wouldn't be dead right you know oh. so it's one of those things it's like what if mm-hmm. so Haley, though, and the two-year-old were found unharmed upstairs, so that's good. So Chris Neal, Christopher Neal, who had served in the military and just started a new job in the private sector with an aviation company out of Battle Creek, he heroically saved his wife and his daughter by doing what he had always done, which was protect. Uh, He left this world with a sweet wife and daughter to pick up the pieces and try to start again, not to mention his Mitsubishi Evo 8 car that he worked on tirelessly. I got that from his obituary. <laughs> God. That's what you that's what you put last. Seemed like a really That's what you yeah. put last. Uh, that, you're unbelievable, See, man. He seemed like a really amazing man to me. You're a sociopath. I don't know. I, he's just a good guy all around. <laughs> Not to mention his beloved Mitsubishi Evo 8 car that he worked on tirelessly. <laughs> yeah. I figured, you know, people would want a little texture into this guy. Some often we're like, he leaves X Y Z people behind, and you know, everybody's like, "Oh, that's sad." We never mention their vehicles. Right? Exactly, yeah. we don't mention the vehicles they uh, had. You got a good heart, man. A good mechanical heart. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm not a hero, but you know, I try. Um, as of August 10th, 2020. Uh, William Paul Jones was found competent to stand trial by a judge. His court date is pending still, and he's being charged with 19 felonies. Uh, among those charges are the following. One count of open murder, what? one count of breaking and entering resulting in murder, and three counts of assault with intent to murder a police officer. All those charges carry a penalty of up to life in prison if and when he's convicted. What's, I hate to put you on the spot, but what is open murder? I've never heard of that before. Is that when you kill somebody in front of everybody? You, you, beyond um, first-degree murder, it's like, it's a show of it? Uh, it's like, you know, an open house where you can just go to it? <laughs> that's, what, that's, kind of, that's what I'm saying. <clears throat> come one, come all, boom. 
Yeah, it's advertised and everyone can come to it. No, no, really, though. Uh, open merger in Michigan law doesn't require a prosecutor to choose between first degree or second degree murder when they issue the complaint or even at trial. So a prosecutor can charge open murder, which it's a combination of first and second degree murder. And the jury may then determine the appropriate degree based on the proof or the evidence. Oh, so it kind of is a yeah, sort of a wide blanket that says we're going for murder, but the jury can decide like whether that. it's first or second degree. I like degree. that a yeah. lot. Nice. Yeah. So apparently it's not that close to uh, like an open house. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I'm glad that we – just the facts, ma'am, here. All right. Yeah, is, that's so that's, that's it? That was heavy. That was a lot. That was rough. That was that was a sad one. And, you know, and it got me thinking just, you know, it's like that the more we do this and uh, the way that things are reported and the way that they enter into our earballs is often, you know, one person died and there were two survivors or one person died and three were injured. And man, I just I I can't shake the the feelings now of knowing how many lives were affected? How many people had to pick up the pieces from this? You know, you think about it. Three police officers were totally taken out of commission and their lives were changed because of this incident. Mother and daughter, uh, obviously, Christopher lost his life. It's just, man, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. All right. With every crime, that is the way. It's kind of nice of you to bring that up because we often don't talk about it. <clears throat> there was a case out here where a man, his name's Vince Lee, but now it's Will Baker. He cut Tim McLean's head off on a Greyhound bus. Just 45 minutes from where I live, and I talk about it as much as I can. And he's free now. Mental illness, you know. The reverberations from that were that one of the Mounties that showed up on that scene, and they didn't fire on him and for whatever reason. He ended up killing himself years later. And... uh Will Baker clearly was not held culpable for the effects of his crime on that person who ended up killing themselves as a result of witnessing what he had done. And there's no way to really push that all into a ball when you're in the court system, obviously, but I remember. Everyone remembers, right? I mean, there's so many people. that You know what would have stopped that? I'm confident. Do you know what would have stopped that Will Baker incident? What? Train ride instead of a bus ride. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you're right about that. Just saying. Harder to stop a train, that's for sure. Not quite sure what that has to do with anything. Hey, you want a happy ending? (laughs) No. Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay. I got one here. Okay, once again, just open your chest cavity and let this uh, this happy ending just flow into your heart ventricles, okay? (laughs) Okay. Well put. You ready for me to hit play on this? Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Hello, you through to the police? How can I help? Mummy had an answer yet, but I don't know why, but she had an answer yet. What's your mummy doing now? Um, she's just sitting on the sofa and, and doing nothing. But is her eyes open? No, they're shut. They're shut. Is she injured? Is she, is she hurt herself? And before when we were out, she was just busy, and now she feels really poorly. She's feeling poorly. Let's have a look. How old are you, Susie? Four. Susie, ask Mummy what area it is you live. Can, you, can Mummy answer that? <laughs> Hello, is that Mum? Yeah. Allergy. Allergy, right. Can you open the door? Can you be a big girl? Well, I can't really reach the lock, but I'll have a go. It's open. The door's open now, is it, Susie? 
You can hear an ambulance, can you? I can hear them in the bathroom. You can see them. Well done, Susie White. The police are going to help Mummy, okay? Ah, so not a lot of detail needed there. And some of the call was, you know, obviously truncated. But Susie literally saved her mom's life from an allergic reaction, which closed up her esophagus. Uh, Uh, She was she had passed out from lack of oxygen and was brought back, revived just long enough by Susie to say those words on the phone, which probably saved her own life because Susie had no idea. She just knew mommy was feeling poorly. (laughs) Wow. Every little girl on these calls that you play sounds like the same girl. Uh, you yeah, know? I think it may be. They just, uh, she's adopted and, <laughs> they, you know, they just take t- turns renting her to save people's lives. You know what it is, man? It's that little girls are more mature than little boys. And I know we've had some little boys on here that have done have done a good job as well. But little girls are. They're much more mature. And they they um, thrive in in a position of being given some kind of control, like uh, to be able to like point directions and a motherly role. Um, yes, and, and and they just all do quite well, I must say, on these calls. Little girls, little boys are a little bit more distracted. Little girls seem to be really dialed in. Yes, I agree. I, I you know for all the all the culture conversation about uh, the sameness of the genders and everything, I think there are some very special, unique qualities between the genders that I cherish. Actually, you know, from a little girl to a woman, I think there are vi- there are some very powerful differences that uh, oftentimes get overlooked. Hey, well, if you if you want to want to get into another hot button topic, there that if you meet a little, bo- <clears throat> I've met little boys who are clearly female, who are clearly little girls trapped in a little boy's body, and they behave this same way. So the same way you would cherish it within either section, whether it's a girl behaving as a girl or a little boy behaving as a girl or a little girl behaving as a boy, it's all there. Being a male and being a female, um, I think that there are inherent differences right and there are things that we focus on it and our call to action happens um naturally because like a man is is meant to protect and and just bullheaded about things and a female thinks things out a little bit more Mm -hmm. maybe that's why i'm freaked out about aggressive female drivers because i kind of expect them to think things through more and so when i see an aggressive female driver it worries me because i'm like that girl's been pushed too far yeah Any aggressive driver freaks me out. People get a little bit too cocky in their cars, but that's another story. That's true. Unless they, you know, they slash all the tires and go running away like Riker, then you don't have to worry about him being an aggressive driver. Unless he's riding his bike to the airport. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's why I always keep a piece of pepper in my teeth so I can lick it and get, you know, amped up for any particular situation. <laughs> that's a good idea. Distraction. Distract with your teeth. I get it. All right, everybody. Well, this was a lot of fun, Jack. I'm just keep that pepper in your teeth. Mm-hmm. Buddy. All right. Love you. Love you too. Hugs, everyone. There are so many places where you guys are showing up and so many faces that we want to thank for helping us to make this crazy show and all the shows that we make at 1159 Media possible. There's constantly something happening on our Facebook pages and groups that makes us laugh. Then there's the P.O. Box that is filling up with all your awards and Patreon. More than 1,500 of you crazy beautiful people have found it in your heart or maybe your couch cushions to support us so we can pay the bills. We couldn't do this without you. Thanks so many times to you. So much hugs.